Over the last 25 years, the world has witnessed incredible progress, from dial-up modems to 5G connectivity, from massive PC towers to AI-enabled microchips. Innovators are rethinking possibilities every day. Through it all, Invesco's QQQ ETF has provided investors access to the world of innovation. Be a part of the next 25 years of new ideas by supporting the fund that gives you access to innovative companies. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. We're all still trying to piece together the massacre in a Buffalo supermarket where a shooter wearing body armor with a video camera attached to his helmet murdered 10 people, almost all of them black. The attack was live streamed briefly on Twitch, but clips of it have been viewed by millions of people on social media. And in his manifesto, the suspect noted that he was influenced by far-right sites like the Daily Stormer and platforms like 4chan. It also appears that he spent months mulling targets, posting racist memes, and preparing for his attack on the app Discord. So I wanted to dig into this horrific shooting and the role tech played in it with my guest today. Wesley Lowry is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who covers race and justice. And Jared Holt is a researcher at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. Jared, Wesley, welcome to Sway. Thanks for having us. So, Wes, let's start with a breakdown of the news. Tell us what we know about the attack. Well, sure. So, look, this was a a mass shooting like we've seen so many times before where a young white man who seemingly had radicalized himself on 4chan message boards um, around racist conspiracy theories, white supremacist ideology, drove several hours to a black grocery store in Buffalo uh, that he seemingly had, had cased and spent some time uh specifically choosing um, an open fire, you know, killing a bunch of black shoppers as well as as a security guard. And in his, uh, you know, he, like so many of these shooters, you know, he published a a tome uh, and, a, and a tristy about why he was doing this or what he wanted to do. And, and he espoused um, what we're referring to what people talk about as, you know, the quote-unquote great replacement theory. Um, but I actually think the easiest way to understand it is to think about, I mean, this is a basic tenet of white supremacist ideology going back hundreds of years, right? It, it, is, right. it is true that currently there is a specific uh, maturation of it that we've seen cited by the shooters in El Paso and Christchurch, uh, New Zealand, and also in, in Pittsburgh at Tree of Life. But going back at, at this point, at least a century and, and probably even further, um, what we've seen at a very basic level is that white supremacists uh, believe, right, their core to their ideology is that the white race is facing an extinction, and that extinction is happening either through race mixing, right, you, you know, or through a Jewish conspiracy to bring in immigrants and bring in migrants um, and to run them out. And so he was espousing uh, this very basic core tenet. The reason it's, I think, important to talk about that, and then, and then I'll 
shut up for a second. But the reason I think it's important to note that is I think that so often with white supremacists, with racist attackers, in polite society, we think, oh, that's just some like crazy backwater bigoted person. There's nothing for us to do and there's nothing for us to say. No, no, no. Like white supremacy is not just your your friend or your racism isn't your friend who makes an off-color joke, right? That there that there are white supremacists that have a coherent, complex ideology. Uh that, that and that once we understand that and think about it, it requires us to begin thinking about and having a real conversation about how we disrupt that and undermine it. Right. So it's a theory that he found on the Internet during the pandemic and became convinced this was the correct theory, um, which was that the white race is under attack and they need to be that these people are here to replace us, essentially. Jared, um, Wes uh, mentioned Christchurch mosque attack in 2019, uh, which had a, a, a similar thing. More people killed. It was a manifesto, online radicalization, streaming video. And that that attack or that murderer was inspiring to this murderer. So explain, are they comparable or how do you see them same or different? I think they're totally comparable. I've spent more time than any normal person should with the material that this shooter left behind online. And for so many intents and purposes, this shooter was really trying to replicate what happened in Christchurch from the use of live streaming on the attack to the scrawling on his weapon, uh, you know, the way he was dressed, even uh, his desire to deploy memes and get like a kill count. And that's, you know, not even mentioning the fact that his manifesto is, you know, partially copied and pasted straight from uh, this other guy's manifesto. So it very much is kind of the replication of this model that was sort of, I guess, conceptualized and popularized by this disgusting, terrible person uh, in New Zealand. So, Wesley, you read the shooter's, this shooter's 180-page memo. What struck you about it? I think that what's not even interesting here, but that is almost predictable, is how unoriginal the—I mean, it's it's the same stuff over and over and over again. This could—I mean, this could be the Christchurch, uh, you know, memo. This could be the writings online of the Tree of Life shooter. This could be— Right. It's the so same racist thing. plagiarism, but go ahead. Yeah. Over and over and over again, yeah. right? And I think that, to my point earlier, right— when we think about white supremacist attackers as individual crazies, backwater racist, right? Well, we have no obligation. We have no social responsibility to do anything about that. What are we going to do about some individual racists? When we understand white supremacy as a complex, coherent ideology, suddenly it, it falls upon us. It's incumbent upon us to make sure we're not doing anything to aid that whatsoever, right? And so when you look at this, this document written by this shooter, there are entire sections that could have been Tucker Carlson monologues, right? That so much of the conversation around demographics in our country, about immigration, about what's going on at the border and has been going on in the border, uh, so much of that conversation uh, veers into the same talking points intentionally or unintentionally, right? I'm willing to engage in a level of good faith with some of these right-wing folks. Like, all right, sure. I, do, do, I, do I think Tucker Carlson necessarily wants a mass shooting to happen? No, I'm not going to put that on him. But what I will say is uh, it, it's very clear so often, um, in fact, because the white supremacists tell us so, that they appreciate the, the way that figures on our political right 
have laundered white supremacist talking points into our mainstream politics. Into the mainstream model. Jared, how do you look at that when you look at this manifesto? Obviously, it's the same grab bag of awful. Um, but what 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 strikes you as what's happening? Because these things develop online, as you know, propaganda does or reinforcement. I interviewed uh, Lenny Posner, the father of a Sandy Hook victim, about this. And in those groups, same thing. These people reinforce each other. They it's almost he was like he compared to a party. How do you look at this? Yeah, I mean, I would agree the same way that some people may go online to connect with family and friends and feel a sense of validation like that. People who are stuck in the kind of sticky floors of the extremism cave online, you know, they they go into these places and, you know, having these kind of beliefs, at least at the intensity that they do, uh, can be kind of isolating in people's lives sometimes. You know, people don't want to be friends with people who think saying racial slurs is funny most of the time. Um, But they can go online within a few clicks, gets a type of validation, and kind of end up in this feedback loop of encouragement. Um, Police are retracing the digital fingerprints here as they've done now. It's sort of been the thing to do every time. After January 6th crackdown on extremist accounts, um, a lot of the conversation splinter. Has it been pushed underground? Because it had been underground for years, a lot of this stuff. Wesley? Yeah, I, look, I, I think a lot of this stuff is pretty easy to find, right? I, I remember um, even just going back to the weekend as I was logging on and seeing what happened and realizing, all right, I need to track down what this guy wrote. And let me read through it. And so I'm clicking around on the internet for a little bit. And, and as, as I'm doing that, I'm stumbling into other documents by other mass shooters like this and pictures of mass, you know, that the, the reality is this stuff lives forever and will exist forever. And these are documents full of racist conspiratorial propaganda meant um, to further radicalize other people and provide tactical information about how you might do this yourself if you so desired. Right. It's sort of like the building the bomb thing that used to go Correct. around or the building. You know, there, there's always been that idea of of pamphlets and then, of course, on the Internet, which was a huge controversy or how to do it. But, ha- Jared, has it been pushed underground? Uh, the, the right been more pushing around since January 6th or is that not the case? Because most many people I talk to say that. Alex Stamos made a point that is splintered after January 6th crackdown. The companies themselves said they've done a lot of cleaning up. So have they been pushed down under again or not? Um, some individuals, especially high profile ones like the Oath Keepers really aren't online the same way they used to be. The Proud Boys, people like Alex Jones have been shut out. But I think kind of what we're seeing more is the normalization of what those kind of figures and what those groups represent and the kind of ideology that they put forward. If you have someone like Tucker Carlson going on Fox News and you know saying that the FBI orchestrated January 6th or, you know, spouting some version, explicit or less explicit, depending on the night, of great replacement theory. Do you really need somebody like Alex Jones to like exist in the ether anymore? So I think there can be a tendency when we're looking at extremism to really focus on individuals and groups. And while that's certainly an important part of the equation, it's always, you know, so important that we take a step back and kind of see the bigger picture of what's going on here. Right. One of the things that's interesting about Carlson is that he's really good at sanitizing it and explaining it in a sort of snackable way. I hate to even say that, but he really is quite good. It's good for ratings. Um, He's a persecuted uh, 12-year-old, and that's where he stopped. (laughs) That's where he stopped. I'm sorry. That's not an insult. It's just very easy to see what the, the, just the, uh, the pre-offendedness, the 
persistent uh, grievance kind of culture that has taken over. But what's interesting is that it goes up and down the stack. Can you, either of you talk about this? Because what's really interesting is how it starts at the bottom, it goes up and then comes back down again and then gets shifted. That's what's really interesting about it is how it begins and gets caught. Like whether Trump mentions it or anybody else is that there is a movement between these levels of the sticky, moldy basement and the, uh, the lighter areas up top. But let's go through some of the platforms, and I'd love your thoughts on each of them and the role they play. Because one of the things they tend to do is like, this isn't all our fault. Of course, nobody's saying that, you know, they whether it's social media companies or whatever. But together, all the tools create a perfect storm of ability to do something like this. So 4chan, which with the suspect credits as an influence. When you look at 4chan, I think one of the things that's important to understand about 4chan specifically is the level of anonymity that users get to have in that space. And so when you look at other social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, to a much higher extent, there's a level of personal accountability. Um, that's not to say there are not dark spaces with, within all of these platforms, right? But there's a personal accountability that people can figure out who you are. You often name yourself or at least, you know, create a character, right? And so it keeps much of the public conversation, at least at the highest levels, the most prominent conversation happening within the realm of kind of acceptable, polite public discourse in a way uh, that because everyone can see when Stephen King tweets something racist and then everyone gets mad about it and it changes it, right? Versus... Um, a platform like 4chan, where everyone is relatively anonymous, where there's the understanding of that a lot of this is going to disappear um, at some point. And so what that does is it allows everyone to play off of everyone else's worst impulses, worst beliefs, and accelerates uh, these types of hyper-radical and hyper-prejudicial conversations. Where there's constant reinforcement. All right, Jerry, take on Discord, where the suspect appears to have been posting messages and plans, including sketches, of the supermarket for months. This is private channels. What is their role in it? So looking at the logs from Discord, the shooter was active and talking about what he eventually did uh, for several months. And we assume from what I've seen, it's mostly his side of the conversation or you know messages he sent himself. So it's more of like a self-contained social media, um, which was kind of a new element for this kind of violence. Uh, my colleague Emerson Brooking likened it to ISIS planning out an attack with Google Documents. So in that case, is it like blaming paper if people planned? You well, Discord's know? taken a lot of uh, actions in the past to try to get rid of extremist communities, but this seems to have fallen through the cracks. So I don't think that even though Discord is maybe more utilitarian than a social media feed that is like algorithmically amplified or has some sort of like automated content screener, supposedly. Yeah, we'll get to that um, in a second. We'll get there up the higher up the stack. So Wes, what do you think about the Discord? Because this was, I hadn't seen people do this on Discord as much. I, I, I hadn't either. I mean, but I do, but I do think to your point, Kara, I, I think that the problem here is people and ideology, right? Like, you know, like I said, I think the discords of the world have a step more obligation than the <laughs> than the paper creators might right you know but that said 
if it were not Discord, it would be somewhere else, right? It would be Google Documents, right? And then would we blame Google for the... Ex- well, no, we wouldn't, right? Because the reality is these are individuals who are advancing a specific ideology and that at some point, these do just become gathering places, right? If a bunch of racists had gotten together in the park, we wouldn't say, okay, the solution is to knock down all public spaces and not allow them to gather. Like, we, we do... Uh, it, it, there's a push and pull, but I, I mean, as you noted, though, the internet creates such an accelerant to allow like-minded people to find and locate each other with a uh, with a rapidness that has not existed prior. And they didn't have that. They were separate. They were separate in their And, and they were sending each other, and they were having to send each other pamphlets via snail mail and set up, I mean, these old Klan groups and neo-Nazi groups would literally set up uh, like phone lines and hope people would call into them so that they could, that's not true, right? A few, few Google search terms and you can suddenly find an entire community of people who are going to reinforce, codify, and accelerate your most bigoted interpersonal beliefs. If I wanted to go on the internet and find people to give me a bunch of energy about why I should hate trans people or why I should hate Muslims or why I should hate black people, within a few clicks, I could be I could be buried in information and reinforcement and community, which, as Jared noted earlier, is a big part of what a lot of these folks are. Sure, are seeing. it is. It's community. It, it absolutely is. So, Jared, then Mediafire, where he posted the thing, it was, this is like a, a free Dropbox. I mean, that's just he just was posting the documents there. I have my own like personal reservations. I think about like file hosting services, scanning through everything, and trying to decide whether or not to call the cops on you. So. For content hosts like that, I definitely think it would behoove them to have maybe something that is looking for like the most egregious type of things. And there are certainly lots of resources out there these days to try to narrow that down so it's like a tight enough scope. Yeah, I, 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 find, I find there's nothing they can do. I mean, that unless it's, yeah. so they start uh, spying on people. Yeah. And we don't, and we don't want that. And again, and again, what's been true forever? Because again, I think I think part of the conversation here, to go back to a point, is that it's this conversation about how much of this is new, how much of this is of the moment, and the internet, and the and social media, and these. Well, no, no, look, Timothy McVeigh is in the Oklahoma City bombers, in part radicalized by the Turner Diaries, a racist novel that is self-published, right? It's not that this wasn't Random House's fault that William Pierce was able to put this propaganda in everyone's hand, right? That the reality is these ideas are going to, the the idea is the problem, right? The racism in our society is the problem. All right, let me get to something else then. Uh, Either one of you, Twitch. Briefly stream there. This is something I've had conversations with these people, Facebook and others, when they started their live service and they they dismissed it out of hand to me when they were launching. Not Twitch specifically, but live is was the problem. And I was like, have you noticed people are awful? And now with live video, they become more awful. Is there any moderation? Wes? You know, I, I gotta be honest. I was a little, I, I was impressed almost by how quickly they got the video down. I, I mean, I mean that earnestly, right? That I, I do think there's a need. It was two an minutes even, for people who yes. didn't know they got it down. Two minutes. Um, two minutes once the shooting had started. Because much of the video is him driving to the supermarket, right? It's not necessarily something that would not be allowed to be posted, right? The... I do think there's a naivete across tech very often, and, and it's it's striking to me that it continues to persist. Right? We've seen we've seen genocides, you know, in, committed via these platforms or encouraged by these platforms, and we still have new platforms popping up. Going, no one would ever use our platform for ill will. What are you talking? about? It's like, come on, guys. Right. But while that naivete is there, I think that we encounter that same difficulty of like, what do you do? So how do you? If people are going live, you don't know they're doing the bad thing till they start doing the bad thing. But I, I do want to give Twitch a little bit of 
credit here in that I, I was impressed by how quickly they got that down, all things considered. Right. Jared, it was on Twitch and then streamable where video clips are posted, were posted. This is what happens is it's like a virus and it, it gets copied by one person and then it goes and goes and goes. And then you cannot stop it. It's like feathers being spread out from a pillowcase. It's gone. Yeah. Like Wesley, I was generally kind of impressed with the job that Twitch did. A two minute response time on something like this, which wasn't even, you know, from screenshots we've seen, wasn't even viewed by very many people. So that yeah, it, almost no one was watching it in real time. No, it just went to millions afterwards. Yeah, it was like a couple dozen people and Twitch still caught it in two minutes, which I think is pretty impressive. And then Twitch did something that I think is also crucial that showed me that they had their heads in the right space, which is they very explicitly stated, we're going to be watching the platform for people who try to re-upload this. And that was something that, you know, to mention the other platform you invoked and even Twitter and Facebook to a degree, there were still images and videos that the shooter had produced that ended up circulating on some of these platforms. I think it's important that all platforms keep at least a general awareness of the space, especially in the wake of tragedies right. like this. Because if a shooting happens and Twitch gets it down in two minutes, I feel like there's less of an excuse for a platform like, they, they lose the live streaming excuse, right? What about the, the, the proliferation, Wesley? I mean, it was on yeah. Facebook and Twitter. I found it very quickly. Telegram. Mm -hmm. Then the document went up on Google Drive. Mm -hmm. Should it not go up on Google Drive? I didn't know. What, what do you, What's their responsibility? Well, and, and that becomes... That becomes the question. What do you do about content that is that is real, right? Like, so this historical event has happened, right? Someday historians are going to want to write about Buffalo and what happened and these lives that were lost. Well, it's going to be important for them to be able to, those experts, to be able to read this document and be able to cite why he said he did what he did in X, Y, and Z and make the comparisons, right? There might legitimately be some value in them re-watching the video, right? And so it's this question of, when everything exists in the internet, right, where it's no longer you got to go get the physical VHS of X, Y, and Z, or it's what that means is everyone has access to it in a way that is is very different, right? That all these types of things would have existed previously, right? There, are, in fact, there's there's video of all types of terrible things that have happened, but typically you would have to go to the cops and get it from them, or go to an archive, or when everything exists on the internet, it raises this important question of. What is the role of these places to one both allow? All right, what is it? What is allow it? for the public? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think I think it's really tough. I don't think, like I said, I, I don't necessarily think that Google should be taking down the document. Right? I'm not. I'm not there on that. I, I do think a lot of these. I, I think that the reality is this video is going to be viewable no matter what, and I think the largest platforms uh, can step in and say, well. If someone really needs to see it, you can find it. It doesn't need to be on ours. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Lenny Posner, father of a victim of the Sandy Hook shooting, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Wesley Lowry and Jared Holt after the break. If you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash HardFork today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HardFork. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. So one of the things that's interesting, you mentioned Twitter. Um, it doesn't look like this deal is happening now, but Elon Musk has mentioned making it very free. Like anything should, and I, I don't quite know where he would come down on this. I'll be honest with you, whether you should keep these videos up. But I would think his inclination is, and now the Texas law, which is being widely disputed, would sort of force this stuff to be up, to continue to be up, because this is a point of view. Correct? Yeah. Am I incorrect? Well, well, and that would be, and so that's the big question. One of the big questions about the Texas law is, you know, would Twitch get in trouble for taking this video stream down, right? It's a real, uh, you know, it, it's, we've been having this kind of theoretical debate about free speech and social media societies and people saying, all right, well, now we have a very real example, right? We have a terrible, repugnant thing that was done where all of this digital content was created, right? Discord logs, Twitch, 4chan. Like, okay, okay. And now it's being republished on Facebook, on Twitter. On, all, all right. So let's answer the question, Elon. Let's answer the question. You know, and, and I don't know that there's a perfect answer to it, right? No. But it takes this out of the theoretical world where people get to kind of demagogue around the idea. Well, I'm a free speech warrior and these people don't believe it. Okay. All right. So what are you going to do about this, like, miserable, repugnant video showing the last moments of someone's lives at the end of a gun that has racial slurs written on it. What are you going to do with that? Can that live on Elon Musk's Twitter? And I think we need to know the answer to that. He would say it's illegal, probably. Well, I don't know. I don't. And, and that might be the way he gets out of it, right? He yeah. might say, well, the murder itself is illegal. And so therefore I can, well, but okay. So we not have any videos showing illegal acts. Can we not have videos of crime? Can we not have video? It, it becomes, I mean, I hate the term slippery slope, but it becomes one of these things of where do you draw the line? That's why I love when they 140 character, a very difficult issue. Like, I'm like, (laughs) you're kidding me, right? Like, and then, you know, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Jared, what do you think about the Texas law? Because you you said these platforms have gotten better. What happens with this Texas law and, you know, ideas like Elon Musk is propagating? In respect to the Texas law, I think the fact that we're sitting around saying, you know, would this apply? Would this mean that they can't take it down? Kind of shows how short-sighted and like poorly explained this law Mm-hmm. Uh, has been by the people who wrote it. As far as Elon's vision of Twitter, there's already platforms that are like this. Gab exists like this. I mean, 4chan exists like it, although it operates a bit differently because it you know, self-deletes and everything. But generally speaking, people don't like those platforms. Content moderation is not only an aspect of 
public safety, but also contributes really highly to the user experience of a website. So if Elon says, welcome to the wild, wild west, Twitter is, you know, (laughs) dueling cowboys at noon now, um, people might not have fun on the website. They might not enjoy it if they're getting harassed. So it's, it kind of feels like self-sabotage and like every pseudo smart guy thinks that this is the position of free speech they fall on. None of them actually do when the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I mean, as a business, no, it becomes a bad place to be. Like, you don't want to be in that particular bar. I mean, I, Dinesh D'Souza is as much as I can take on Twitter, but... but yeah, uh, none of but, us want to hang out with Nazis all day. Like, that's just, well, that's not fun. No. We don't, well, none of us. None of us on yeah. this, on this right. podcast want to hang out with Nazis all day. <laughs> Some people do. Um, let me ask you two more questions. One is, so one of the one of the issues is that this started with was Trump being thrown off mainstream platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, after January 6th, an incitement of violence, which is a very common rule break there at, the, at all those places. Do you think the internet had got better off with him off of it? Because then he incited people down below and up and down and created even more noise. I mean, I kind of saw Trump the same way that I... I guess I'd probably see the internet more broadly, which is that Trump didn't like invent a lot of this stuff. It, it is not that it was new with Trump, but Trump was a pretty, you know, offered himself as a pretty damn convenient vehicle for it. Um, just like how the, how the internet didn't invent extremism, but it is the most handy tool extremists have had in their, you know, entire existence. That's a really good point. So I tend to think the internet is better without Trump on mainstream platforms. I certainly don't miss it. I, I think it was the right call in the moment. I, I kind of sort of understand platforms, you know, now out from January 6th wondering, well, I don't know, should we let him back on? Yeah. But Trump's still, you know, very much playing the greatest hits, going around the country, telling everybody the election was stolen. And I think until the behavior changes, it's probably still the right call to keep him off. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's where I'm at on this. I, I think that I, I actually thought Trump should have been off these platforms a long time earlier than he was, in part because they had stated rules that he was constantly breaking, right? And so my point here remains, if you're going to say the standard is this thing, it should be this thing, right? Um, And if it's not, then it's not. And I think, but going back to the levels that we were talking about before, right? Because again, it's not that Donald Trump creates all of these people, but they all play off of each other. There's this moment in 2018, right before the midterms, where the quote-unquote migrant caravan is making its way, and Donald Trump says he's going to build what he's calling tent cities, but would have been prison camps at the border. And he's asked this question, and there's this internet conspiracy theory that George Soros is funding the migrant caravan, right? Now, let's let's be clear, right? We're we're talking for an educated population here, but like George Soros, the powerful Jewish man who finances all the things you don't like, right? Clear anti-Semitism there. And Trump is asked about it and he goes, I wouldn't be surprised if George Soros is financing the migrant caravan. A lot of people are saying that. Well, some look, people say. Some people. And so, and so at that, which then, so Trump didn't invent this racist conspiracy theory, right? That plays into great replacement theory directly and plays into white supremacy ideology. He didn't invent it, Right. But he now magnifies it. And, and, and so now, if you are just a, one of the millions of followers of Donald Trump, you might go, oh, I wonder if George Soros is financing this caravan. And you Google it. 
And now where do you find yourself? You find yourself in the darkest quarters of the internet. And so yeah. and so you plug some words into some search terms and you find yourself in the throes of white supremacist propaganda within two clicks. And that is the danger of all of us. That's the danger of what happens when a platform lets someone like Trump, when a platform, because Fox News is a platform, cable is a platform, lets someone like Tucker Carlson espouse these things that wink and nod. They would say inadvertently, not on purpose. We don't know. We don't mean that. But either way, we objectively know these folks are saying things that are driving people into the arms of the darkest places of our society. Well, let, let me play devil's advocate then, because what they did say, which he did say, is they want to suppress our free speech. So what if we say it? Are there, you can go click if you want. Why is that? I mean, I, I mean, I'm not thinking that. I think it's not true. But that's their <laughs> argument is we should be able to say and think what we want. Why are you trying to stop what we think? Uh, you, you could... Look, but I, but I think that this is the this gets back to the old like tech argument about are you a platform or are you a publisher, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is that in our society there have always been limits on what is socially acceptable speech and what's socially acceptable speech on yes. platforms, right? Yeah. What the guy on the street corner is saying does not necessarily appear on the front page of the Washington Post. Is the Washington Post suppressing his free speech? No, they're saying that's not an appropriate thing for our curated platform that we are sending out, right? It's this idea that when you platform something, you you are you are making a value judgment that this is a, a idea worthy of discussion, right? And worthy of people knowing. Jared, I'd like your prediction if there's going to be any real change and what should it be? And Wesley, you too, as we wrap up. Do, do you think there's going to be a real change? I do not. Um, and I'm not sure they can do anything about it. So I, I have a very like, mm, this has been tried and tried and tried again, especially with the politicization. What each of you, Jared, you start. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a bit of a cynic, you know, when it comes to the platforms we were talking about, like the Google Drives. I don't know that there's anything those kind of companies can really do without just being way too invasive and potentially getting into like a dangerous territory of like, you know, I, being the white woman in the park calling the cops on people. I really think the issue, the part of the issue that hasn't been fully addressed is the role of ideology versus a very specific thing. So after the shooting in Buffalo, platforms understood an act of violence has occurred. There is a clear job for us to do in content moderation. But if the animating ideology of that violence can exist in other forms when there's not literal bodies on the floor because of it, then what are you doing? Is that appropriate still? Like, is Twitter or Facebook going to be a place where great replacement theory is fine until you kill somebody? And I haven't completely figured out exactly how I fall down on that issue. I tend to, you know, favor content moderation personally that's more directed at behavior than like specific ideologies. But at least in this example, I think the violence connected to replacement theory is almost impossible to separate from the proliferation and popularization of it. That's a very fair point, Wesley. I think that's I think that's a brilliant point. It I is. think that's the thing we have to think about, and, and, and it, that it it's this idea of these platforms want to be ideologically neutral. They want to say we are just a place, we're a town square, we're a place where everyone can show up and hang. And the question becomes. In our society, when we know that there are ideologies that lead to violence, uh, that target people, that create an equity and equality, is that neutrality a moral decision, right? Is if I if I'm hosting the the block party, do I let the Nazi keep showing up and ranting? 
when I know that each time he shows up, one more person <laughs> orders yep. from Amazon Mein Kampf the next day and then starts reading about it, right? At what point do I have a responsibility as the convener of the town square to curate this town square? And 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 I and I think that, and by the way, even the hyper free speech absolutist, and I'm not, and I'm not a hyper sensitive or censorship person at all, and right? I fall relatively on that side as well. But that said, even the people who would suggest their fort, they do believe, they do think there is a line somewhere. And so our debate remains where exactly is that line? And I do think a lot of folks who would suggest they're absolutists on this are being really cute about it. And I think that the reality is the line probably needs to be much more aggressive than it is currently. There are probably a lot of things on the mainstream internet, mainstream social, that we have a body of, of objective evidence that suggests allowing these things in our town square lead to violence. And so therefore, we need the Zuckerbergs and the Elons and the whomever to make responsible decisions about what they allow in our town square and what they don't. Yeah, and if the Nazis get upset that they're not like allowed to post on Facebook, there's plenty of places online for them to go. Yeah. Nobody else wants to go there because there's Nazis there, yeah. right? But like... <laughs> Yeah. Correct. It, but they don't have to the come idea to our that, bar. Like, they don't have to be in our town yeah, square. The, the idea that there isn't like free speech on the internet is ridiculous, though. Yes. There's so much speech on the internet. It's just like people feel entitled to use certain platforms on the internet. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the problem is nobody wants to shut up. That is really <laughs> the problem. My son the other day was talking about, I think it was about Elon. He's like, is he going to shut up at some point? I'm like, no. If you think they're going to be your saviors. I would not bet on that. No, mm -mm. I keep telling people that Twitter should just suspend Elon, um, mostly because no, no, like no, no, that would he would love that, he would love that. No, I, I think I I wonder if you, I mean, you know him, I don't, but I I think he might have a breakdown if they ban. I mean, it's similar to the Trump thing, right? Where like this yeah. is their drug in a way, and they certainly they have power and platform, but then you cut them off. And like, sure, I feel like this is the ability to communicate with these people so quickly in this hyper trolling way. And there's something to be said for flipping it on its head. All right, Trump, if you want to put out these statements that you have people that tweet for you, feel free. But you can't be here being an asshole. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. he's pissed about it. It's people who live in the id, as they say. No, that's the truth. Anyway, this is a real thank you so much, both of you, uh, Jared and Wesley. Uh, this is a really important time. It's going to keep going. And um, it's really important to be thoughtful. And I really appreciate your thoughtful discussions. Of course. Thanks so much for having us, Karen. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuluski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza. And the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. They're not going to do anything. They're not your savior. No. They could give a fuck. <laughs>